Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Well, it was a party across Los Angeles last night following the Rams' 23-20 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. The game came down to the wire when late in the fourth quarter, Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford connected with his favorite wideout, Cooper Cup. Here's Al Michaels with the call on NBC Sports. Pass. Touchdown. LA's defense would then make a key stop on fourth down on the Bengals' next drive to seal the victory. Cup was named Super Bowl MVP after catching eight passes for 92 yards and two touchdowns. The celebration didn't only take place at SoFi Stadium for Rams fans as it spilled onto the streets across Los Angeles. People were on top of a Metro bus and they were uh, shaking it and uh, tagging it with graffiti, unfortunately. That's helicopter reporter Desmond Shaw with KCAL 9 Television. Police did issue multiple dispersal orders for the downtown area. No word on if there were any arrests. Also over the weekend, the filing deadline passed for people who want to run in this year's mayoral election in Los Angeles. But before it did, one final candidate got in under the wire. Here's the California Report Saul Gonzalez with more about that candidate and the wider race. Rick Russo is the latest and last candidate to enter LA's mayoral race. Who is he? A billionaire developer best known for building high-end shopping malls in and around LA. Although Caruso's never held an elected position, he's played a prominent role in civic issues for years, serving most recently as president of the Los Angeles Police Commission. Caruso was also a Republican for decades before changing to a no-party preference voter in 2011. Then in January of this year, he registered as a Democrat. Caruso hasn't made a formal speech or held a press conference since filing his papers to run for mayor, but he has spent the last couple of years talking about the challenges facing Los Angeles. Here he is speaking on CNBC in 2020. I'm a big fan of LA. I think LA is second to none in terms of one of the great cities. But at the same time, we've got challenges in LA. We've got high unemployment. Uh, We've got a very high rate of homelessness that has to be fixed. We need to demand our leadership to make some really smart moves and some bold moves to get the city back on track. 
It's expected that Caruso will campaign as a can-do businessman who would govern L.A. like a CEO. But some political observers wonder whether that kind of message from a billionaire candidate will resonate with an increasingly progressive and multicultural L.A. electorate. Caruso certainly joins a big field of prominent competitors. They include Congresswoman Karen Bass, City Attorney Mike Fuhr, and Kevin DeLeon and Joe Buscaino, both members of L.A. City Council. The mayoral primary election will be held in June, with the top two candidates moving on to the general election in November. For the California Report, I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Immigrant rights advocates are warning Cambodian communities about deportations in the coming weeks. KPCC's Josie Huang reports. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement has deported hundreds of Cambodians in recent decades. Many have been here since they were kids, but because they have criminal convictions, ICE says they are safety threats. During the pandemic, deportations fell sharply, but a new prasad of the Asian Law Caucus in San Francisco says they're starting up again. One sign? Some Cambodians are being told to do their regular check-ins with immigration earlier than scheduled. It's just injustice being piled on top of injustice. We're in a community which arrived at genocide, then got resettled in our most violent and impoverished neighborhoods impacted by mass incarceration and the drug war in the U.S., the news is creating anxiety in Cambodian communities such as Long Beaches. City Council member Suli Saro says the deportations break up families and lives that have been rebuilt. It's really hard for the whole community because we're tired. We've been fighting this for so many years. ICE declined an interview, but in a statement said it prioritizes the removal of, quote, non-citizens who pose a threat to national security, public safety, and border security. For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Businesses in California would have to check that workers are vaccinated against COVID-19 under a bill by East Bay Assembly member Buffy Wicks. The legislation introduced Friday would apply to small businesses and independent contractors, but allow for some medical and religious exemptions. Businesses would also have to test unvaccinated staff. Wicks said vaccines provide the stability people crave. We don't want to be scared of the next variant. We don't want to live in fear. We don't want to go through all of this all over again. And fundamentally, this bill is about workplace safety. Workers deserve to be safe. 
The Supreme Court blocked a nationwide vaccine mandate for large employers, leaving vaccine mandates in the hands of the states. Wicks says that means Sacramento should act. Labor unions, healthcare worker groups, and small business organizations are supporting the bill. The Port of Los Angeles has gotten the green light to open a new dock worker training center later this year. The goal is to prepare workers for a future with more automation at one of the nation's largest ports. KCRW's Megan Jamerson has more. The temporary center will, quote, reskill and upskill 900 dock workers over 10 years. They'll be trained in things like the maintenance and repair of electric forklifts and other zero emissions dock equipment and technology. There will be fewer manual jobs for dock workers in the future as the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach move toward automated technology for unloading and loading ships. The idea is to train these workers now so they can be ready for new job opportunities at the docks. A 2019 agreement between the union that represents these workers and the association that represents their employers at the port led to the creation of this training program. Workers will be selected based on seniority and the results of a skills assessment test. For the California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Los Angeles. Mask mandates are soon disappearing for most people in California, but they'll remain in place at congregate settings like immigrant detention centers, where COVID is spreading, but detained people say it's been tough to get a booster shot to protect themselves. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports. Last month, the number of people detained by Immigration and Customs Enforcement who got COVID-19 skyrocketed from about 300 to more than 3,000 as Omicron spread across the country. The CDC has recommended booster shots for all adults since last fall, and it prefers Moderna and Pfizer shots, which are more effective. But people locked up at ICE facilities in California report there's long delays to get a booster or that they can't get the more effective ones, says Edwin Carmona Cruz with the California Collaborative for Immigrant Justice. There are uh, massive efforts across the state and across the nation to be vaccinated, to be boosted, right? And so when you look at this population that's in immigration detention, they're forgotten, Advocates worry most about the thousands of detainees nationwide with medical conditions and a higher risk of getting really sick from COVID. <coughs> People like Enrique Cristobal Meneses, who has asthma. My lungs hurt. I've been coughing uh, since the, uh, since the 21st. He's been coughing since the 21st of January. That was just days after he says officials placed a new detainee with fever and other COVID symptoms in his dorm, violating ISIS pandemic protocols. He says within a week, he and 17 others tested positive. He blames the facility. I was frustrated because it was a lot of detainees, including myself, that I was already uh, displaying some of the symptoms. <coughs> and I feel like their negligence puts our health and our life at risk. Cristobal wasn't boosted because the facility only offers the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, he says, and he had a bad reaction the first time he took it. A spokesman for the GEO Group, the company that operates Golden State Annex, declined to comment on Cristobal's story. He said boosters are available, but wouldn't say which kind. A spokesman with another prison company, Management and Training Corporation, that also runs an ICE detention center in California, says they get boosters from ICE, which has only had J&J. &J. 
medical experts have all said that to only offer the Johnson & Johnson vaccine to somebody as a booster shot falls below uh, the standard of care that is expected for anybody in the country. Eunice Cho is an attorney with the ACLU. She filed a lawsuit last month on behalf of medically vulnerable IC detainees who couldn't get boosters at all, including at the California facility where Cristobal is held. It is really inconceivable at this point that ICE has not gotten its act together to provide uh, COVID-19 boosters to people in detention. Uh, this really just goes beyond the pale. ICE says it is committed to CDC guidelines and working to get Pfizer and Moderna booster shots. But a spokeswoman declined to answer questions about how many detainees have gotten boosters, citing the lawsuit. Meanwhile, Carmona Cruz and other advocates met with officials at the California Department of Public Health to ask them to order detention centers in the state to offer the more effective boosters. Requesting um, the state to intervene and to protect the health and safety of immigrants in the state when there's federal inaction. The California Department of Public Health says they're looking into it, but have no comment at this time. On Friday, an immigration judge granted Enrique Cristobal Meneses the right to stay in the U.S. Still, ICE can hold him for up to 90 more days, but advocates want him released sooner so he can fully recover from the effects of COVID. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. In a new proposal, the CDC could loosen some of the restrictions on opioid prescribing that some doctors have said harm patients dealing with chronic pain. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. When 28 pain management clinics shut down across California last year, 20,000 patients lost their care. Philip Coffin is the director of substance use research at the San Francisco Department of Public Health. He said many of them struggled to find physicians willing to prescribe them the opioids they rely on. And a lot of the patients ended up bouncing from emergency room to emergency room trying to get refills of opioids that, you know, you can't just stop these medications. It can be extremely dangerous. In a new paper, Coffin writes that patients who've had long-term opioid therapy discontinued are more likely to die from suicide or an overdose. Coffin says this problem was created by overprescribing opioids, and now the healthcare system is responsible for fixing it. If you were a surgeon and you left a surgical instrument in somebody's body after a procedure, you're responsible for getting that instrument out and dealing with any of the consequences. The proposed guidelines from the CDC are more flexible and remove previous dosage recommendations. For the California Report, I'm Holly Demick-Deed. And that's the California Report for Monday, February 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. 
That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.